0: anyway let's do it this is our first in a while we've been we've been gone for a little bit and we didn't do one last week because uh i don't know why i'm lazy um <laughs> there's a lot but, going on uh it's our, it's our kids first. the same age there's a lot it's, going on <laughs> exactly yes and joe's a grandson our granddaughter of the same age as well we had oh really uh,
1: oh very cool yeah
0: the movies that made me babies were born on the same day wow holy yep. smokes wow yes, that's it's neat. very it's very uh it's very interesting and we're uh we are anticipating that someday they will get together and start dating, and then take we can over keep the it show. Going that long. That's a long, long time from now.
2: But one thing we, one thing I think we will be keeping going this long is, is talk about the strike, because based on what I'm hearing,
0: yes, yeah, exactly. Like They'll still be doing that WGA spotlight. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I have the title, Joe. You miss you. I have a title for the show that they will be uh, by the time they do it. It will be called "The TikToks That Made Me." <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway let's uh let's get into it we have a uh a, a young fella here uh peter cameron um peter greetings welcome welcome to the show tell um let's just jump in man tell tell uh joe's never met you um nice to meet you joe uh, I, uh are you are I'm, you wearing are you doing it did you know i am
1: it? i i almost chickened out but i am indeed Step wearing back. a Stop howling it. uh oh, i've never seen that t-shirt before. which is uh it's a brand called Cavity Colors. They're pretty. They're pretty
2: cool. Unfortunately, I never get any money. No, I wasn't in the DGA. I had no. I never got paid for editing it.
0: Uh, oh man, those, those stories are so depressing. Um, but this is why we have unions.
1: This is why I have unis. I'm sorry to, sorry to dredge up the pain. I, I was already yeah. on the cusp of backing out as far as, uh, it's like, is this like wearing the t-shirt to the band you're going to go see? Yeah, I couldn't decide. <laughs> no, no, it's cool.
0: Um, I would have loved I want someone to come on someday with a Howling 2 t-shirt. That would be I don't think those exist. exist. <laughs> that would be impressive. Although
2: fans may be making them. That'd be a choice. Every movie has its fans.
0: We'll, we'll sell them on the site. Um, Peter, tell us a little bit. Who who are you? What do you do? What are you working on? What were you working on before uh, before the strike? What have uh... I'm a, I'm a genre writer
1: um, who's uh, after. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm such the cliche of being a ten year overnight success. Uh, there's there's a lot of like. Cleaning M Ms out of SUVs in my past, and a lot of studio temping, and then finally getting into the to the WGA um, on a show called Carnival Row, um, which was a um, which was a, fu- a fun ride, and um, and uh, now I've been a member of the WGA for eight years now, and um, finding some work in in the Marvel camp, doing WandaVision um, WandaVision and Moon Knight and Werewolf by Night, and um, all nice. of their. I'll I'll love their uh, uh, left field their left field offerings or as many as I can you know as, as much uh, you know unfamiliar unpredictable marvel as there is I w- I would like to uh, be a part of it.
2: <laughs> I prefer their left field offerings to their right field offerings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Me too, honestly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, well, cool, man. And what what were you what were you on? Were you on something when uh, this all shut down, or were you?
1: Um, the last, the last show that I can say it was on was, uh, a, a spinoff for Catherine Han's character, uh, the witch character in WandaVision. Um, she gets her own, you know, coven based, uh, adventure, um, for next Halloween
0: oh fun okay well cool and and was that were you guys done by the time uh strike hit, or are you
1: yeah we we were um yeah the show had been wrapped and um uh yeah things were so were well on their way so it was um it was a pretty it was a it was a tidy fit honestly
0: cool and um uh what what um i realize too he didn't tell me in advance so i'm, I'm gonna be I, I might get stymied here what um you have, like, was there a movie or something that made you want to do this particular? And don't say the howling. Oh, weirdly. say the howling. <laughs> yeah, 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 Joe,
1: if you could just yeah. log off for a second. Uh, <laughs> I, um, no, I, you know, I, I, I would love to talk about, and I don't know if you've done this ad nauseum on this on this podcast. Um, I would love Not to talk about- Not with you, we haven't, so. Who framed Roger Rabbit.
0: Um, oh, wow. Okay. As, as,
1: as a weird pick. It's not that
0: weird. It's a great film.
1: Um, Yeah, it's a great movie. It hit me at a at a perfect time. I would say I was just sort of growing out of watching uh, you know Disney movies outright. And my dad had a had a cupboard full of VHS movies that he taped. And the rule was, do not touch the cupboard during the week. And every and every weekend, he would open it and pull something out. And so he was pulling out. Um, the greatest, like, you know, film noirs, film noirs of, of the past. And, and to see something that incorporated, you know, childhood as I was leaving it, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. with all of the, with all of the adult feeling things that I was watching every weekend with him. Um, that movie just exploded my brain open.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it would. Am, am I, Joe, my brain, so you, weren't you on that briefly or for a while? Am I,
2: uh, no, I would have. I, I would have liked to be. I was actually auditioned for the voice of Roger.
1: Did you really? Holy smokes! That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> wow. Which, uh, which I was. Which I, it's a good thing I didn't get because I, I really wasn't the right for it. But um, the question was is, I suppose, I would you, you have dressed up as a rabbit like Charles Fleischer did on set? And, I wouldn't uh, have, I don't think I would have turned it into my avocation. Like
2: yeah. <laughs> fair, Charles fair. didn't have that much else going for him at the time. So I think that was <laughs> a lucky, a
1: lucky break for him. But I just, I love that movie.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it was, it was just, it was a revelation um, at the time. In fact, we were just talking the other day about people acting with uh, things that aren't there. And I remember reading <laughs> I mean, certainly noticing, but also like reading at the time that uh, people were saying Bob Hoskins was like the best they'd ever seen it, being able to to maintain eye contact and emote with someone who's not actually in the room. And I think about that when I I read that
1: he he started to pretend as fiercely as he did. He started having hallucinations. He's got a quote (laughs) that's like, you know, I got the rabbits and weasels coming out of the walls. And I guess he didn't. He didn't work for a year after he wrapped that movie just because uh, of the toll it took on him, um, yeah. which I believe. Like, people hail rightly hail Back to the Future as a perfect movie from that Zemeckis period, but I put Who Framed Roger Rabbit right up there with it as far as just such a taut script and it subverts expectations while also delivering like exactly what's on the tin. And the animation is so fastidious. And yeah, I, I love them. Great bad guy performance, Christopher Lloyd, like non blinking before uh, Anthony Hopkins made it cool. In,
0: uh, oh, that's, that's a right. Michael Caine trick going way yeah. back actually. Oh yeah. That's Michael That's right. Yeah. It goes back decades. Yeah. For the, power. Um, yeah. yeah. The uh, yeah, we watched it again about a year and a half ago. My God, the, the scene, I mean, there's no other way to put it. When he murders that little tune in the dip, it's just horrifying. There's like, that must have trauma. How old were you? were a kid when, like. I was in, an, it
1: was I was in fourth grade, I would say, when I saw it the and, first time.
0: So when he murders that little dude, were you just like, it, that just.
1: I wasn't <laughs> thrilled. <laughs> you know, it was definitely. It was one of those moments that, um, that definitely uh, burned itself into my retinas. <laughs> in yeah. the same way that, yeah, in the same way that you know the uh, the lobby full of melting gremlins did as well around that time, or Angelica Houston in the Witches. You know, there was a lot going on with PFX in that time that yeah. uh, I, I will never forget, <laughs> and that I'm it's grateful true. for it, frankly.
0: The amazing pre-digital era. Um, yeah, cool. I know you're a fan of that film, right, Joe?
2: I'm I'm a fan of all the movies that have been mentioned.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, although Joe's favorite is still Forrest Gump. I think of that uh, of that bunch. That... Well, you can't win them all. You can't win them all. <laughs> Joe's favorite is not Forrest <laughs> Gump. Um, and Peter, how's it? So it's now we are, what, what are we? Are we a hundred and, I feel like it was a hundred days recording, a couple of days ago and now it's like 125 or something. 29 something. Yeah. It's, it's,
1: we're, we're verging on 130. Um,
0: and and how's that been for you? Are you out every day? Are you uh, melting? No, it,
1: I, I'm out as much as I possibly can be. I try to go th- at least three times a week. Um, I usually end up at the Disney lot. It's the closest to my house, and um, and I see a lot of familiar faces there, which I enjoy. I also have a four-month-old, and so between my three-and-a-half-year-old and my four-month-old, they're either coming with me or they keep me here. <laughs> right.
0: Yes, I do know of what you speak. Um, yeah, that I got to say, one of the things about the last strike, which was much shorter, uh, that was was kind of the relationships you develop with the people you kind of know on the line and get to know. And it's pretty amazing. It's just, I think, like a lot of us, um, kind of had enough of that. <laughs> it's like yeah. I made some new friends, got some good relations. Like we can move on now. We can all go back to work. We can call each other.
1: Yep. I, I mean, yeah, there's, a, there's the Groundhog Day element that everybody's talking about is beyond real. It really It yeah. feels like this is your life walking around the picket lines. I mean, and I'm sure you guys get it. Like, you know, as someone who's been in L.A. for 16 years, I'm bumping into folks that I tempt with at studios 13 years ago or did UCB and Groundlings with 10 years ago or was in Marvel rooms with last year. And and it's beyond surreal. And 95% of the time, it's lovely. Um, even though as someone who used to suffer from a ton of social anxiety, it can be a lot. But on a uh, picket line full of introspective writers, I know that I am not alone.
0: That's right. That's right. You're not the only one who's <laughs> having a
1: hard time making eye contact <laughs> with
0: other people. Yeah.
1: And this, is per- and this is perfect weather
2: for it, of course.
1: <laughs> yeah, it really is. What a, The fashion show is over, which I really appreciated. Like When, when people started, <laughs> stopped wearing their swag and started grabbing the bucket hats. Yeah, I was very relieved.
0: <laughs> Sh- shorts and <laughs> exactly on yeah. the last uh, yeah. or the new normal. Um what's uh what what's next for you? Do you think do you know like assuming we get through this assuming there's still an industry, do you know what um you're, you know, <laughs> how's I your spec am... going? I guess I should ask. <laughs> um, um,
1: specs going great. <laughs> <excellent>. <laughs> it's uh you know picking away at it um I was also in a writer's room that I'm uh really excited to get back into I've been um I've been working if this ever ends I've been working with a lot of the folks in it for years now and it's such a like happy supportive and productive place to be and there's a feeling of genuine collaboration in there and a little work family so to speak and like it really feeds my soul and I'm starving to get back in
0: yeah, well, let's let's hope it's soon then. Um, but uh, uh, really, very very soon. <laughs> it's I like keep hearing yeah. horrible yeah. estimations, <laughs> that I don't even want to say. But uh, but anyway, well, Peter, thank you very much, man, for coming on. It's very nice to meet you. And well, um, thank you. Yeah, look, I I, I haven't been in Disney in a long time, but I I do sort of flit around sometimes. I need to get back there because it's nice over there. It's very nice. They, nice haven't, um, you know, they haven't you know they haven't reduced
1: up? the trees to nothing.
0: And before we go there's a uh, uh I guess you're sort of uh, uh you're flogging something kind of. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the thing you're working on or that
1: Yeah, sure. Um I, I wrote a children's book. I co-wrote a children's book with um a couple of other um uh, WGA writers and in solidarity we're publishing anonymously as the Elves. Um it's a, it's a riff on the Brothers Grimm uh, Elves and the Shoemaker and um it uh it's been so much fun all proceeds from the book are going to go to the entertainment community fund yeah we're on we're on indiegogo for the next 3 weeks and um we all proceeds go to the entertainment community fund and uh it's sort of a fun demented take on the strike and our wildest dream would be to to stick in young brains enough for the next generation of CEOs or presidents or hollywood players to prioritize humanity in their decision making oh come on that's too much
0: um but where where can people go (laughs) it might well be where where can people go to to get it to support it to
1: um there's a uh let's say uh at elves and the shoemaker on instagram um it's also an indiegogo campaign called the elves and the shoemakers
0: awesome so yeah great it's um Uh, a good cause and um, um, uh, a fun idea, man. So uh, good luck with that. And um, hopefully, hopefully uh, the strike's over before the book comes out and you guys are screwed. That's my
1: hopefully, man. Hopefully, (laughs) I had a guy come up to me on the Disney picket line the other day. He had a, he's like Robert Loja in a, in a, in a Bentley and whipped over to the curb and he with a big old watch. And he said like, they're greedy bastards, aren't they? And, and I said, "Oh, you know, they they don't make it easy." And he was like, "No, they won't buy you lunch. I'll buy you lunch." And he took a he took a hundred out of his like mega billfold and shoved it at the window, and then peeled away. And just the moral outrage of this of this guy who just felt that he had to do something was so so pure and so beautiful. It was That's one amazing. of those like, "Yeah, I should keep coming to the picket lines as much as I possibly can." This is this is
0: this is where it's at. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh uh, well, Peter, thank you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks, and, uh, Oh, thank you both. Good luck with the book and and let's end it's this. You. Yeah, for real. I'm such a fan
1: of this podcast. I this is, See, we have uh, a fan? Just to say it now that we've wrapped. <laughs> oh. I'm like, oh, I'm like, Joe, I've got just so just so <laughs> we're clear. You are a fan.
0: <laughs> you know? Oh my god, he's got the trailers from hell DVD. Yeah, that's rare. That's, uh, that's, I, you, a, I believe there's fan. two of them though. At least a dollar $1.98. Well, thanks. I may I make six <laughs> cents off of that. So thank you. Um,
1: sweet. Oh, I'm so glad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was that's saying sweet. to my wife, like, I wish it wasn't Joe Dante because like telling him how important he was to my brain growing up is, is daunting to do. I mean, oh, it just embarrass him. I shouldn't yeah. say <laughs> <anything>. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, we love it here. We love it here. We wouldn't be here for one for a so I appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. Well, thank you, guys, Thanks. Peter. And now before we jump into our conversation with Richard Shepard, uh, as you probably know if you've been listening to our show since it premiered back in 1943, um, many of the movies we talk about, if not all of them, sometimes we get so obscure it's ridiculous uh, are available at moviesunlimited.com they're the expert on movies since 1978 which uh, if you've been listening to the show you also know is 20 years before I was born Uh, They are not only huge fans of our show, but they feature many of the movies we talk about here. So you can easily find them to add to your collection. Sure. You can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you'll watch what you want, when you want, and there's usually a ton of great content bonus features like director's commentary, deleted scenes, and all sorts of goodness.
2: Busy doing something? No, not too busy to click the movies unlimited banner on our website and buy your favorites from hard to find films, imports, and more. Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website where shipping is always free on orders over $50.
0: This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. I I sort of have a list, but I sort of don't. So we're just going to be flying by the seat of our pants, Joe. uh, I have a a little more of an idea than you, but that's about it. But um, uh, very, very excited. Our our guest is a writer director whose work I've enjoyed uh, many, many times. Richard Shepard has done films. Um, And there's a kind of... uh, uh, I I had forgotten you had done The Perfection, which I I very much enjoyed. Thank you. Uh, And uh, uh, The Matador and Dom Hemingway. And then also... Like I, I, I love people who, uh, who, who spread out. It's not like you keep making the same movie. Um, you also directed that great documentary. I knew it was you about John Cazal. Yeah. Um, very good. It was just really phenomenal. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful film. I love showing it to people. And, and I still, it's got one of my favorite, I can't remember. I honestly don't remember if it's De Niro. Uh, um, who is it who talks I'm, I'm about I'm sure it was
3: Pacino, not De Niro because De Niro that's true. Spoke to him for like 20 minutes and he barely barely said it but he never he never he says, says that
0: he didn't tell funny <laughs> stories that's true yes i mean he kept us waiting it was like a
3: documentary and he kept us waiting two hours so i'm like paying the crew for for those two hours and then he shows up and i mean i'm glad he came and participated but it was not the most thrilling, he's a bit taciturn uh, thing you've ever seen
0: Wait, are we keeping that? The um, but no, you've got you've got Pacino. Can that. I can say that you can
2: you can criticize people on that
0: podcast. Sure, <laughs> he's never going to uh, come on. Pacino anyway. tells this great story. I'm never going to finish this. Pacino yeah. tells this great story about his friend John coming to see him and saying, "You got to come see my girlfriend and the thing." She's like, "She's she's the greatest actress of her generation," and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." And they go off, and of course, his girlfriend's Meryl Streep.
3: Uh, <laughs> it, it's. Uh, It was, uh, that was an incredible, like documentary to be able to make. I, uh, I had always loved John Cazale and Mm -hmm. there wasn't barely anything about him at that point on the internet, barely anything. And I, I thought someone should make a documentary about this. And then I was like, well, actually maybe it can be me. And we tracked down his brother we spoke to Cindy Lamette, and the idea was that we were going to try to get Meryl Streep and then cut a little trailer to try to raise money and get the other actors to agree. And Meryl Streep would just not respond to us. She just was like, I want nothing to do with it. And this went on for like a year and a half. And finally, John's brother confronted her at an art opening that he knew she was going to and said, why are you not doing this documentary? These are really good people. And she agreed to do it if she uh, could remove herself from the documentary after seeing it. Um, but uh, but her participation, obviously, once she said yes, then Pacino said yes, yeah, yeah. and everybody said yes. And uh, it, was, it was really like, for, for me to be able to sit with those directors um, with Coppola and to sit with Gene Hackman and, and all, I mean, it was just, it was, it was, and to talk about John out, you know, yeah. who yeah. I feel like the the film when it's screened on HBO is like kind of a, a reintroduction of him in a way that, that I was very happy to be part of. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it's great stuff. And, uh, and actually that kind of gives us a nice segue into what we're going to talk about. Cause, um, you uh, didn't ask what? me who
3: who refused to talk to me though.
0: Oh, oh, you're going to tell us anyway who though. Who
3: refused to talk? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, two people just wouldn't talk, and I didn't. I don't think either of them was because they didn't like John, but they just for whatever reason. So um, Chris Walken wouldn't talk to us, and I had actually worked with Chris Walken on a movie I produced, mm. and I was convinced that he would, and he definitely had no interest in talking to us. And then Michael chimino wouldn't talk to us. And well, okay, that was that made he, some sense because I yeah. think he was sort of in the middle of, of transitioning, and uh, um, uh, we, we we offered to do it on audio, and he wouldn't do it. But but uh, despite that, we did get to <laughs> we did get to speak to almost every other person I wanted, or every other person I wanted to well,
0: talk. Yeah, to. and chimino kind of makes sense because he's notoriously kind of. Um he avoided stuff like that. I, I did. I think I've told this story of the show before, but I got to see him at a screening at the American Cinematheque of um, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot many, many years ago. Oh, wow. And uh, which, of course, you know, an amazing film and um, plays like gangbusters to a crowd. And I remember the the two things that were noteworthy were first of all, he sat for the first couple of minutes. He When he came out, he sat down on the microphone and started talking and you were literally listening to him talk threw his own ass finally, which, um and, and uh, the person interviewing him was very intimidated. Finally, got to pick up the bike, but he said the most bizarre thing, and I'm still wrestling with it, apparently after Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which he said was a great experience for him. Um He shot the script exactly as he wanted. The Any changes that were made were improvements. He found out later that Clint had just been deflecting any kind of studio interference from him. So as far as he knew, everything was great. And every day, Clint was going back and battling to keep him on. Eastwood comes to him afterwards, goes, this has been one of the best experiences I've ever had. I would love to do your next film. It could be anything. Whatever you want to do, I don't even have to be in it. I'd like to be part of it. And he said, it was a nice offer, but I I turned it down because I wanted to have my, my freedom. And I, to this day, every oh, idea I've ever had for a movie I, either does or does not have Clint Eastwood in it. I can't come up with what that third option he needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's like...
3: Wow, So wow. frustrating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, um, uh, but great stuff, but you are, uh, uh, clearly a film geek, Richard. That's your, that's Great segue. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's right. I mean, the king of the great segues here. I, I listen, I, I we, we wanted to have you on anyway, but it was, um, uh, great fun and great timing. Um, Richard, this was a COVID project. Am I correct? Is that how it started?
3: Yeah, Film Geek is a documentary that is about my growing up in New York City and all the movies I saw and my relationship with my dad, who was a movie nut, but also very mysterious guy. And uh I I had been toying with this idea, and then during COVID, I just it sort of pushed me over. I worked with uh this editor, Adam Lichtenstein, who I've worked with before, who I've known for, for a long time, since NYU. And I knew he had similar movie tastes as well as new movies like I did. And we just started naming all these movies that I saw from, from the age of six till I graduated high school. And I, I knew this because I kept lists of them. So I actually... Joe, you're well represented in in. I used to do. The, I used to I keep saw. lists
2: too. I I was I was I was a list maker, and you know you got to remember when I grew up, there was no place to go to get information. If you if you want to know something about a movie, you had to, you know, had to consult the Motion Picture Daily or something, you know, in the, in some library somewhere, and then write down all the information, and and it was it was daunting. It was the internet is such a blessing. People don't realize. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean,
3: I I. Uh, so I kept lists, and then as I started to create this movie, we started using the film clips to tell the story. And uh, I, think it's a, I think it's kind of really fun. We did it, you know, over the computer and uh, FaceTime, but it ended up being something I'm, ex- I'm extremely proud of. And it was actually quite difficult, the personal stuff, because, you know, all our movies are personal and I brought a lot of myself into my movies, obviously. But this sort of dealing with my dad and and all of that was, you know, it was it was challenging as a writer and as a director to to try and tell the story without also, you know, I'm not a super famous director, so I had to figure out a way to make something that would be interesting to people who didn't know who I who I am, you know, who don't know who I am. Right. And so that also was that was also part of what was fun. But um You know as as i was thinking about coming on to your podcast i was just thinking about well i should sort of start probably talk about the movies i saw senior in high school in some capacity because i saw you know i saw
0: i have the list right here i saw it's an amazing list but i I do before before
2: it's only it's only an hour show Um. richard (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, but, uh, And it's audio.
3: Josh, I did. I did. Uh, Josh told me to pick ten.
0: <laughs> we've and we've seen the film, and it's it's one it's called Film Geek, and actually, you've managed to get um get it cleared through fair use, and it's going to be uh I believe it's the what is it the twenty second of September. It's the twenty
3: second at the American Cinematheque at the Los Feliz. Definitely Friday.
2: worth a worth a visit. Uh, yeah,
3: I sure. really hope people come out to see it. And I will be doing a and a uh, and the mic won't be, uh, uh, I will actually hold the mic up to my mouth. So <laughs> I can,
0: I can you. yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I, I highly recommend it. It's very fun. If um, It's great if that's your era. It's great if it's not your era. It'll kind of cause you to sort of think about, you know, um, um, for want of a better phrase, the movies that made you.
2: And it'll make you want to see movies. That's that's the great thing about it. it, may, it what is that movie? That looks interesting. If this guy thinks it's interesting, then then I should check it out, you know?
3: I mean, isn't that the best when someone, when you're, when you're seeing something and someone's being passionate about a movie, it's suddenly you're like, oh, you know, I've heard of that movie, but I never thought I should see it. And then suddenly like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm actually going to watch it. And it, it leads to so many amazing things because despite having seen what I thought was every single movie playing in New York City from 1980 to 1983, I miss quite a lot. So it's nice as I get older to, to catch up.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a load of fun. And it was it was fun for me too, because for from we're pretty much the same age. It's pretty much the same era that that formed me. And what I I I enjoyed the crossovers uh as much as I enjoyed the places where uh we don't cross over, or or at least we didn't in the film. Um it's it's just uh it's it's a load of fun. But yeah, so pick so you want it's your your senior year of high school. And you did, did right. you so it zeros down it, to ten, or did we? Uh, <laughs> I did, I did. So it's it's
3: June. It start. It's it's basically uh, June eighty two to June eighty three. Oh God, he's uh, got it down to uh, the month. Well, well, I just wanted to pick a year, and and I saw, you know, as I said, I saw tons of movies. So I was just thinking about movies to talk about, some of which I'm sure you've talked about many times, and some of but which not with you. Uh, and some of which I don't think people have talked about. I'll start with one that I know that no one's talked about on your show, although I can't guarantee it, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, Savage Man, Savage Beast.
2: Wow. Well, obviously, this person has listened Joe. to all of our episodes, and he's absolutely <laughs> correct. No one has brought up Savage Man.
0: It has never come up. Uh, Joe, have you heard of that movie?
3: Uh, I've heard of it, I am not
0: but it's it's a it's a doc, right? Isn't it a documentary? I mean,
3: that's a strong word, Josh. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> it's in, it's, in the vein, it's in the vein of Faces of Death, and it's it, a Mondo uh, Cane you know, movie, a, isn't it? That's that's right. Kind of, it's an Italian movie. Um, for, it was actually made in the seventies, but it got released in New York, uh, I think, at the A Street Playhouse. In, in in my uh junior year of or senior year of high school and it, it 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 has like lots of footage of animals attacking people not people animals attacking other animals and stuff like that but the the reason that I had heard of it and was interested in seeing it was because supposedly there was an actual attack of an animal on a human being that was filmed
0: of course and, of course
3: and <laughs> it was a it was a I still remember this because it was really shocking and it only was years later that I realized that it had been faked. But in, in, at the time, I really believed I was seeing these lions attack this guy. And what, what they did brilliantly was it was two families in two cars and they pull in the safari park and one dad gets out of the car to film and then the other dad is filming him as he's filming, so you see this lion attack from two different angles. And uh, it it. Uh, by the way, anyone listening to this, I'm going to talk about more normal <laughs> movies, but I thought I'd start with one that these oh, guys no, had no, never no. never seen. And uh, you know, it really um, one of those things you don't forget. Like I, I I remember walking out of the theater, being like, "Holy cow! I mean, what the hell is that?" And and I forgot about the rest of the movie. Like, who cares? There were other animals attacking other animals, and this and that was not the case. That was this was a classic, you know, exploitation movie, and I fully was happy to be exploited.
0: Well, now now I got to ask have you uh, have you seen Roar?
3: Yes, but Roar is 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 a
0: real documentary. <laughs> Yeah, right. well, except it's yeah. posing. <laughs> posing is a narrative drama. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, um, I, I talk about it in my documentary, but I
3: worked at a, at a movie theater in high school, and by working at that movie theater, uh, I was allowed. Uh, the sort of ushers had this sort of deal where we could go to any movie at any theater at any time and get in with with a date. So it really allowed me. at you know, the height of my nerdness to be seeing three or four movies a weekend uh, or even a weekend day. And so, but this one, that, that one was something that, that, you know, I, I, I would have paid to see if I, if I hadn't gotten it. I don't, I
2: don't think Savage Man, Savage Beast is a date movie. Exactly. Uh,
3: yeah. No, you, you have to have a very specific type of partner to, uh, to enjoy that. Um, all right. Uh, can I tell you anything else about it or should I move on?
2: No, you can move on. I, 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 it's, I don't, is it available at, at Movies Unlimited?
3: Uh, it, I don't it. know. I, I, I've I never seen not. it. I've never seen it. I, I mean, it, it is definitely. All right. So
0: I, I, I want to about... ask before, before, you, before you go on, I do want to ask about the movie theater that you worked at. Were you? How long did you work there?
3: I worked there basically for, for a year, part-time senior year, and it was the Criterion Movie Theater on 44th and Broadway, and this was basically Times Square in the early 80s, and my parents just were like, yeah, sure, just go work there, and it was like, it was a dangerous, crazy movie theater. It was a sixplex. Um, People would pass out there. You know, there there was a lot of stuff happening at that theater, a lot of pot smoking, a lot of, like, just thick smoke. Um, and, uh, but they played the verdict there for about four months. So I was, you know, that was the movie. That's another, that's a movie I want to talk about because I got to see it. Over and over and over again. And Mm -hmm. unlike sort of, you know, the movies I'd see over and over again on TV, like King Kong or The Taking of Palom 1, 2, 3, or The Forbin Project, Colossus, The Forbin Project, those movies I saw over and over on TV. But to see in a theater projected with an audience so many times and and for me, that movie still holds up. I will watch it now knowing basically almost every moment of the film and having seen it so many right. times. And I'm like blown away by well, first off, they were making movies for intelligent people in the studio system <laughs> at that moment in right. time. And, and and that one, you know, has an incredibly dark uh, point of view about about the church, about the justice system, um, and, and, you know, obviously a great script by David Mamet and, and one of Paul Newman's, you know, next to HUD, in my opinion, Paul Newman's best performance. Joe and Josh, please share your best Paul Newman performance. Well, we've
2: we've uh, we've encountered a lot of people on the show who have um, mentioned the verdict because the verdict is such is such a great movie, and you know people approach it from different sides. But uh, even Ethan Hawke, when he was on, you know, who did a documentary about Paul Newman, um, thought that it was one of his absolute best performances, and I, I prefer it to HUD. So I, I I think it is his best performance.
0: Yeah, I, I would go there. It's still not my, it's not my favorite Newman film, but I think it is, it is his best uh, performance. I, want, I just want to say I'm incredibly jealous because I was a, an usher at a theater the summer before you. And uh-huh. I spent most of the summer of 81. I have seen Richard Pryor's Bustin' Loose more times <laughs> than you have had hot breakfast. And, uh, no offense to anyone involved with that film. It ain't the verdict. <laughs> no, oh, <wait> <laughs> and I did. I was so jealous of my friends who worked in theaters where you know they were showing good movies. Um, but I
3: always thought about there was a th- there was a theater near my school that showed the German film Das Boot for a year and a half, and I just always thought about the projectionist at that theater. Who just how to see this movie and i like the movie but like to sure. only have one movie that's only yeah but here's, here's a little have.
2: secret projectionists don't watch movies
3: <laughs> i can attest that's to true.
2: It. from a, a but, lifetime but that, of watching 75 millimeter film projected in philadelphia when i was in college mm-hmm. they have paid no attention they push the button and they change the, the you know the reel but then when you go when the manager comes and says that they're complaining it's out of focus you know they they don't care you know, it's just, it's a lost art. Yeah.
3: It is a lost art. But uh um yeah, so the verdict was, you know, there's so many things I think about in that movie. The the Charlotte Ramplings character who uses him, uh, an incredible supporting cast like Jack Warden. And um, you know, I I, I got to speak to Sidney Lamette when I made my Kazal Doc. And you know, I, I I could have spoken to him for, for for the rest of time. I mean, the man made so many amazing movies, and I know recently there's been a little film Twitter conversation about whether he was quote unquote a journeyman, whatever that means, uh, or had a had a real distinctive feel in his in his filmmaking. But I I, I happen to love the the simplicity which is definitely not simple of his storytelling and his non showiness is, you know, never more uh, perfect than in this movie where, where, you know, it easily could have just turned into a cornball film and it it doesn't on, on on every level.
2: No, he was great. He was great from the beginning. He was a TV director originally. And uh, when he did his first feature, which was 12 angry men, uh, which is, you know, a bunch of guys in a room. um, The thing that, that aside from the, really great ensemble cast uh is that he and and it's a terrific screenplay but he starts it with the camera up above then as the drama keeps going it it comes to the middle then as the drama is heightened the camera drops lower and it's it's a it's a consummately well-made movie and it's it's still the best version i know i i know freaking did one and you know a lot of people have done it but it's it's got the best cast and i think it's the best version Of that movie, and it's and it's just a sample of what he was going to come
3: up with. Yeah, that's right, right. And he did it in how many days? Twelve days? Something crazy like that. Low budget movie. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So again, I worked in this movie theater, and I could see anything. So switching from the verdict, I'd like to segue into. Tinto Brass, and Bob Guccione's Caligula, which I saw at a rechristened 55th Street Playhouse, rechristened the Penthouse Playhouse. Um, and uh, I'm sure you guys have talked about this film, uh, but its it, it was a pretty incredible movie to see. Even though I had seen some level of pornography, mostly magazines, I don't think I'd ever really seen a porno movie, and this movie, you know, had Malcolm McDowell and Sir John Gilgood and Peter O'Toole, and then, you know, some serious X-rated uh, pornography. Oh, it, it, was, it, was a, it was
2: a dirty movie when they started because Bob Guccione was going to produce it, uh, but Gore Vidal, when he finally saw what Bob Guccione had done, uh, wanted to take his name off because what he did is he basically added porno scenes at a porno inserts and, you know yeah, yeah. so that uh, and and this was this is not uncommon when you're trying to take a semi-classy movie and make it look dirty you just hire people to, to do more dirt uh and so nobody was really happy with the movie including tinto Brass. but apparently uh in in recent months actually uh there is a version that has been cobbled together that is much closer to what was intended uh and is um uh, I, I may not doesn't even include a lot of the same takes as the ones in the. In I, I heard,
3: I heard it was none of the same takes. Yeah, I heard it was none of the.
0: Same. So there's a yeah, there's a new version. I've, have, I've, have, I don't think I'm allowed to say who, but I've, I've, uh, I've spoken to somebody who was involved with the original film, uh, or somebody who spoke to someone who was involved with the original film, who has seen it and they thought it was very, very good. And yeah, there's not a single take. That was the deal. Is they could go back and edit the film, but they had to use different takes. It's amazing um, that they
3: were even able to find all that footage.
0: That's astonishing. Yeah, yeah. But Magnificent Anderson is lost It's like the other side of the wind, you
2: know, they finally (laughs) finally
3: did something. Exactly. Yes. I mean, I don't know who's been clamoring for a Caligula redo. I can't think of anybody. I would be be interested in seeing it, especially since I did see the original the first day that it opened, uh, you know, in New York City. And, you know, uh, it it was shocking, quite frankly. It was really, it was shocking. And I think it was shocking because it, you know, I think now, uh, you know, young people can get pornography wherever they want, whenever they want. But at at the time, that wasn't so much the case. And, you know, you had to kind of go to a a dirty movie theater to see something. And um, although I talk about it in my documentary when I was a kid, uh, I went with my friend Mark Peters up to his parents' country house in Salisburg, Pennsylvania. and <clears throat> we there was a drive-in movie theater that we could see from the highway. and they showed a lot of sort of exploitation movies, and i I love driving by it. But uh, after like seven o'clock or eight o'clock on the weekends, they showed porno movies. And so mm-hmm. I would my friend Mark and I would would get. Uh, his parents to drive us to ice cream, uh, uh, oblivious to the fact that really our goal was, you know, uh, uh, five seconds at 70 miles an hour of something <laughs> projected on a, sc- on a screen <laughs> that, uh, you know, uh, could, could affect us. But, um, yeah, so, so uh, Caligula definitely is a, a memorable movie from my, from, from my senior year.
0: Um, oh my God. Sorry, by the way. And yes, and before we segue, uh, Joe, Savage Man, Savage Beast, DVD, available at movies unlimited.
2: Movies unlimited. They wow. never they never fail us.
3: <laughs> uh, Joe, I Joe, I, I, I expect you to watch it this weekend. And if you wouldn't buy, I can find if I can, find, if I can four, find a
2: trailer, I'll do it for trailers hell.
3: Uh, that would be great and I would love I would love your take as a esteemed director whether you think that the uh animal attack on the humans is staged or not uh because it uh, in my mind it wasn't staged at, at 16 when I saw it but now uh, at a ripe old age it, it I think it was all right <clears throat> next next is a movie that um I just loved when I saw it as a kid and I saw it recently and it some of it really holds up. It's called Starstruck and it's uh, directed by Gillian Armstrong and it starred a woman named Joe Kennedy. And it was a very low budget musical out of Australia. Yeah. And I, I remember, well, first of all, I just thought it was delightful. It was like, it was fun and funny and weird. I couldn't understand half the things that people were saying. It didn't matter. The mute, the, the songs were sort of punk boingo boingo sort of sound. I bought the soundtrack on cassette at Tower Records on Sixty Sixth Street and Broadway, and uh, you know wore it out listening to it. Um, like I I would buy albums all the time of the movies I'd seen, but this one in particular. It, it, and I, I think it's the movie that started Gillian Armstrong's Hollywood career I think she went from that to directing Mel Gibson in 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 Mrs Soful mm-hmm. uh, uh, but for me it was it was uh you know i I saw every type of movie that could be made and and this was this just had a a sort of homegrown spirit much like a like a, like any indie film it had a sort of like a spark to it based on the fact that it wasn't slick and wasn't hollywood produced and it stuck with me to the point where you know i i, I eagerly watched it recently and, and enjoyed it you know not quite maybe the same way i did at 16 but you know uh it certainly was a movie at that moment that made me realize hey listen there's there's all sorts of genres and you know part of the reason that I direct television as much as I do and pilots specifically is that I get to in my mind be like a 1940s studio director and that I get to jump from genre to genre so you know I I can go from sort of a procedural like a serious you know network procedural like criminal minds to 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 recently Zoe's extraordinary playlist, which was a musical, and to go, and I know that uh, it's all in my DNA from what I watched as a kid that that these movies like Starstruck or or Fame or other musical movies that they they just are in me, so I, I I'm able to approach it uh, with some level of confidence, you know, that I'm not going to completely embarrass myself. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, that's, that's kind of a cool way to look at it too. Uh, cause that is a time I think a lot of us yearn for. And so well, I just love the idea,
3: Joe, when you were, when you were starting, did you, you started in the early seventies, late sixties? Was early 70s, when yeah. were you, when were you? And, and so the studio system as we knew it was sort of dead, but th- you were growing up, you were aware of it. I mean, oh, yeah. Me, but, um, it I, I, like-
2: I, when I was growing up, I, was, I, I wasn't I was aware of who made the movies. I was just aware of that I liked them, you know. And I had certain certain studios were more fun than others, you know. It was a universal picture. It was always more fun for a kid than, you know, it was a you know, Audie Murphy Western or a science fiction movie or whatever. And when the logo came up, it was like, oh, this will be a good picture, you know. Even if it turns out right. it wasn't a good picture, it seemed like a good picture, <laughs> um, and so there was a lot of studio identity then. But by the time I started in the business in the seventies, uh, the the um, everything had changed, and uh, the indies were really where the only place that people who didn't have any credits or any experience yeah. uh, were going to be able to, uh, you know, get a foothold.
0: Yeah,
3: it does seem like that was a very specific magical period where so many great movies. Uh, both bigger budget and smaller budget were made and I, I i look at the directors who could who who really could switch genres like that and it i feel, you know it's it's the greatest thing in the world you know to be able to to put your hand in so many different sorts of storytelling that you're not daunted or being set you know, Imprisoned as one type of director, but you can say, "Hey, listen, I've never done this. Let me let me try it." And, and
2: well, that's true. Except if you do that. if you do something that's successful in a particular genre, then that tends to straight back straightjacket you a little because the next time you get does, hired, it's does. like, "Well, yeah. he, they they do that kind of picture, you know." But you said they don't do this kind of picture, so we're not gonna we're gonna hire this other guy who does that kind of picture. Uh, so it was it's it's limiting. Obviously, I was lucky because grade B horror movies happen to be on the ascendant. And uh, they started to taken <laughs> over by the studios. And, and so I can go from grade B uh, independent movies to grade B studio movies.
3: It's, it's amazing, Joe. And you're still doing it. You're still, I mean, man. More, more or less. I love it. Yeah. Um, so from, from uh, Starstruck, um, I, I think I can segue to um another type of musical uh this one a documentary the decline of western civilization directed by penelope Spheres, which w- without a doubt it, uh, affected me and made me as a as a filmmaker and a person it was a a nitroglycerin explosion of 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 noise and anger at an exploration of the LA punk scene uh, on the ground level. And, you know, she just really got in there. And I had heard of punk music. I'd heard punk music, but I had never been, I had never seen that. I had never been part of that world as I was at that moment and seeing that film. And it still holds up. I just watched it. It is. It is a fascinating documentary. And then she went on to make two other sequels, and the second one in particular sequels, about, the, yeah. about the heavy metal scene in L.A. is is just as good, a, a little slicker, um, but uh, just as fascinating. But The Klein of Western Civilization was one of those, you went to the theater and the theater floor was sticky and dirty, and you felt like you probably, you know, you might get mugged watching the movie, And you came out of it, you know, invigorated by just she just she just documented something that at least for me, a kid from the Upper West Side seemed as foreign as 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 a, you know, as anything I'd ever seen. Uh, uh, um, and, And I I. I mean, that's why I'm talking about it. And I hope anyone who hasn't seen it, it's on it's on criterion streaming right now, and it's so worth watching
0: nice, nice. yeah, i've I've not seen it since it came out. but uh, um, yeah, but did you did you um did you have any connection to the New York punk scene? were you feeling? Uh...
3: you know, I just did I, I, I was a kid I, I kind of just I was a kid who listened to. Movie soundtracks. <laughs> I mean, right, it, it, it's not, I, I wish I could be cooler and tell you that. I mean, when I moved to LA after college, I certainly, or in college, I was very much into like bands like Who's Du and stuff like that. But in high school, I just wasn't. I I, I missed it. I, I wasn't spending my time doing that. So uh, I, I got to live a little vicariously through these movies, and that movie. Yeah, no, I was going to say,
0: I love, I love that you get it through movies. Then that's that's kind of it's wonderful. It's a great delivery system for. Uh,
3: oh my God! Well, talk about another, another world. You know, it's like yeah. as much as like watching you know a Fred Astaire movies in Another World for a kid growing up on the Upper West Side back in the seventies. The Upper West Side was Panic and Needle Park was the Upper West Side, so it wasn't <laughs> like it is now and and you know to see you know to go to a revival theater and see a Fred Astaire movie that as was as foreign as going to you know the the theater eighty St Marks and seeing uh, decline of Western civilization. Um, right. You know it was a, it was a, just a different a different thing. So from from there, still kind of in the world of music a little, uh, I think I want to talk about. Uh, Valley Girl which uh has one of the great soundtracks or it did before they changed it when it came on VHS but um uh it 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 uh, that was an introduction to the punk scene of LA
0: you know and also the
3: introduction of Nick Cage uh, in many ways I don't think it was his first movie but it was the first movie where you noticed him and mm-hmm. I was like who the hell is this guy? It was such a balls to the wall performance, a hello, I'm going to be a movie star introduction, playing sort of a Hollywood punk guy who who has a crush on a, a girl who goes to school in the valley and couldn't be more opposite him. And directed by Martha Coolidge. And, you know, kind of like uh, Fast Times at Richmond High, it was a uh, I didn't know LA at all. I'd never been, but it, it sort of set up what I believed LA was like. And this the this sort of certainly in, in Valley Girl, this sort of punk thing, again, I was very attracted to. And uh uh it's so funny. And of course, Martha Coolidge is just such a good director, and she finds moments of of real. Stuff in the movie, so you not only get your sort of comedy and music and you know flashy stuff, but you get uh, you get some other stuff too, some poignancy, and and you know that really that really connected with me when I was a kid, and and, and with Fast Times as well, maybe even more because of the Jennifer Jason Lee character, you know a, a real honesty in the portrayal of teenagers that. You know, at that point, I was seeing a lot of like Porky's and Porky's 2 and and Losing It and all these sorts of movies that that were basically just like, here's a bunch of guys and they're just trying to get laid. And, and, and those movies had their pleasure, of course, as well. But um, uh, these movies in particular sort of like opened my eyes to a different way of telling a teenage story. It's interesting. They're both directed by women because they certainly brought a point of view that that the male uh, directors were not bringing to it. And and damn, if you watch Valley Girl now, Nick Cage is just as vital as he was back then. And much of the movie really holds up. You know, yeah, the haircuts, the hairstyles are great and the music's super uh, cool and new wave and fun. And LA looks like, uh, you know, a dream. But but uh, man, it's right. it's uh, it's so good. It's so good.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It, yeah, um, and both those films do do have that that quality. Uh, they're also they, they came well for both of us. They came shortly enough after our real high school experience that right. um, you kind of measure them against your own. How, and,
2: how do you how do you think but, they compare they, to the John Hughes movies?
0: Oh, so much better. Sorry, I, yes, I'll let Richard. Yeah, no, I, I
3: listen. I mean, the John Hughes movies obviously were hugely successful, and I, I liked them when they came out. Um,
0: and I was attracted
3: to certain things in them, like I, the Ally Sheedy character in Breakfast Club, the the weirdo I related to more than anyone else in that movie. Um, and I think John Hughes tapped into something. But the two movies I'm talking about, Valley Girl and Fast Times. That spoke more to me. It, it seemed truer. It seemed that the sadness and loneliness that they they had, they had two scenes, one scene in each movie where a girl gets into a situation with a guy that is not good. And both scenes are just so particularly well handled. And it makes you think, you know, and, and it felt real because it was sort of, it was uncomfortable. And and you know uh, I don't know that's why I think they're still in front. Of, I'd much rather watch Valley Girl than than uh, Weird Science or whatever. Although I loved those movies when they came out, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, that makes sense. 100 percent. And I'm I'm.
2: I, I knew I knew John. I, I knew John, and he was he was a pretty cynical guy. Well, That's he was a, an yeah, incredibly I
3: mean prolific and talented guy too. I mean, the man the man had such a good run as a director; it's it's incredible
2: until he got to Curly Sue.
3: Well, they can't all be winners.
0: <laughs> there is that that sensitivity and understanding, obviously, of, of the women characters in those other films that um, really is missing. I don't know if did we talk about this before, Joe? There's a great. Molly Ringwald wrote a wonderful piece in the New Yorker a couple of years ago about showing her daughter. 16 right, and how, times how her
2: daughter was just appalled. How could you be? In a, a she woman was, like
0: and that. she was appalled too. And she was appalled too. I mean, she sort of went back and rethought all of this. Times stuff. change, and um, you know, yeah, but also perception. I mean, but I think I think there's an integrity and an honesty to uh, something like Valley Girl or Fast Times that, because they're both a little more concerned with trying to. Uh, capture a real human experience. Um, whereas there's always a little bit of a, like playing a little bit too hard for laughs in the John Hughes stuff so that that can well, get they lost. both
3: they both feel, and they both were basically independent films. You know, they were not made in the studio system and John Hughes's movies mostly were. And you can feel that, you know, you can feel... And you without a doubt, these directors pushed. You but they must have, because they, they went into places that were uncomfortable. You know, mm-hmm. E.G. Daly in Valley Girl has a situation with a guy in a room and it's uncomfortable. And Jennifer Jason Lee's scene where she sort of loses her virginity is it's just one of the most, you know, toughest toughest scenes to watch. And her vulnerability is, you know, I mean, she's an extraordinary actress, and that. You know, was an, it was one of the introductions to her for me, and I was like, "Who is that person?" I will see anything she she does because it felt like it felt real in a way that you, as a teenager, see your friends and talk to your friends, and there's a real, you know, if you're if you're if you're aware and, and enough to, to sense it, a real a vulnerability in people, and it's rare to see that in movies. And I think that going back to Paul Newman in the verdict, his vulnerability in a non-flashy way is why that movie works. I mean, one of the things I learned when I was doing the Kazal doc, I spoke to Sam Rockwell, I spoke to a few character actors like Steve Buscemi and uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, but I spoke to Sam and Sam said that what John Kazal did was that he would be weak on screen, but not let you know that he was acting weak. And he says, a lot of actors will play weak, but they will show you that they're actually not weak, but they are performing. Mm -hmm. This is a performance. I'm going to put on a weird voice. I'm going to put on a fat suit. I'm going to put on a, I'm going to make myself look weird. So you know that deep down, I'm still the sexy, strong actor that you know and love, but I'm going to play this weak person and hopefully you'll give me a a golden globe. And what i think that kazal never did that kazal kazal just was it was incapable of of doing that falsehood and newman and then moving forward to jennifer jason lee uh, had a vulnerability that also didn't need to protect something it, newman was like i'm vulnerable here i'm a loser and and guess what I am, and you buy it, and you don't need to know that I'm Paul Newman movie star. Like, And I, I love that about that performance, and I think that's why that movie still resonates, and I think that's why Valley Girl still resonates. All right, I'm almost done. You guys can cut me off at any time. Uh, uh, so so uh, just finishing up on music is this movie that I'm sure you guys have talked about, because it's a classic, and if you haven't seen Local Hero, you should directed by Bill Forsyth, um, starring Peter Riegert uh, and Burt Lancaster. It is, it is one of those movies. Uh, I remember leaving the theater floating out of the theater, literally floating out of the theater as to what movies could do, how movies can be magical without, without being a, a fantasy film. And I went directly to buy the soundtrack of Mark Knopfler's score. Um, I needed to hear it, and I needed to live in it. And it's one of the movies in which I I I cannot separate the score from the film. I'm, I'm a believer that you can have great scores in mediocre movies, but you cannot have a great movie with a mediocre score. I don't believe there's any great movie, and I'm sure you guys will name one. But I don't believe there's any great movie. That has a mediocre score. I think in order to be a great movie, you need a great score.
0: Anyway, uh, uh, wait, wait, wait! No, no, no! You—that's a gauntlet. I'm trying to think. What, what, Joe? You're going to pull one out before I do, right? Is there? Well,
2: that—that that depends on your tolerance for for music, you know, and what kind of music. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I mean, music transforms a movie or doesn't. You know, sometimes people make m- movies with no score, which works great uh, yeah. if it's the right movie. Uh, and then there are other so times say, where well, you, you watch a movie and you just think, boy, that would be that would have been such better, so much better if it had a, a better score. Um, but I, I, I think most a doubt. I think most movies that we think of as really great movies have pretty impressive scores, and it's it's sort of
0: well,
3: part of
2: the yeah. it's sort of part of the the the, the whole gestation thing about getting, putting all these people together and trying to make one piece of art out of a whole bunch of different things.
0: No, 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 I got it. I got it. I was convinced it would be five minutes after we finished and I would go away and i go, shit, it's, 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 and and we love him and we recently lost him and he's been on the show to live and die in LA. I'm sorry. I'll go to my grave thinking Wag Chung's one of the dopiest bands there ever was. You couldn't be more wrong,
3: Josh. Josh, you, you, <laughs> you poor... Poor, sad man. Wayne uh, Chung. Wang no, no. You fantastic. Know right. You know I'm right. No, I refuse to. I refuse to. But, do that, but that, anyway, sometimes so- that sometimes, sometimes <laughs> that
2: boils down to a matter of personal taste. The, 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 the trick is, does it work for the movie? Even if the music is yes, not music that you right. want to take right. home and play the record. And there's a lot of those kind of scores that are, well, they, they well, support the movie for sure, but they're not sure, exactly right. like great listening. Uh, and there are other movies, like the Sergio yeah. Leone movies, where you just want to—you—you you, you can't have the movie, but just you got the score. It's almost like having the movie.
0: Right, right.
3: Yeah, I think that the sc- well, local hero is just a small, uh, quirky, slightly Scottish melancholy uh, character piece, uh, real fish out of water. It's funny and moving, and the score just. Is part of the DNA of the film, and the last moment of the movie, uh, which is one of the great endings I think ever, works on both a storytelling standpoint and obviously beautifully executed. But the music at that moment just lifts; it lifts you, and it makes you realize why the film is the is the is the art form that it is, because it is all art forms combined. It's music, it's art, it's acting, it's it's poetry, it's dance, it's all of it, and uh, uh, it's it, it's rare to find a movie that that just feels original from the first frame to the last. And uh, I think Local Hero, if anyone hasn't seen it, is is certainly worth tracking down.
0: Uh, yeah, no, for sure, and and, and movies uh, unlimited. Yeah. yeah, movies I love So
3: so um I have uh one more movie left and mm-hmm. and uh oh. um uh that's because I combined Valley Girl and and uh Fast Times. Um uh this is not a classic. Uh in fact I would say that it's a it's a craptastic masterpiece. Um Uh, Sylvester Stallone Staying Alive, um, which is... Whoa,
0: first time. Another first time here, Joe. We started with a first-timer, and we're going out with a... (laughs) No one has ever brought up Staying Alive. Well,
3: because it's just one of the most uh, terrible movies maybe ever made. Uh, It is, you know, and it's a sequel to a movie that that gets better with every viewing, which is Saturday Night Fever. Another movie that is very dark and, and very willing to show character flaws. This was a money grab sequel several years after, I would think it's six years after uh, Saturday Fever. So I don't think the world was clamoring for this sequel. And uh, John Travolta's character has gone from working at a hardware store in Brooklyn to being a Broadway dancer. And uh, uh, Stallone uh, has a little cameo in it, uh, but he is not in it. He directed it. And that
0: he, shot. That shot. <laughs> is, is he wearing a giant mink coat or something? Oh like? my God! No, I saw them
3: filmed that day on the Upper West Side. I saw. Oh Trivolta. no! Did you? I saw <laughs> Travolta and Stallone in these nanook of the North fur coats, and I was like, "What the hell is happening?" I used to just go to movie sets all the time. and talk about it in my doc, but I was I was definitely there for That's... that. But so that might have made me more susceptible to the charms of staying alive, but. It is, it is, it's one of those movies where it's a bad idea and then you feel that no one could get Stallone to change anything. That, that, and by the way, I'm a fan of Stallone. I think he's a great writer and I think he's perfectly made some very good movies. And
2: Paradise Alley.
3: Paradise Alley and Fiston, but you know, listen, he's 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 incredibly smart guy. This movie feels like not one human being, you know, from from the wardrobe to the set design to the plot to the casting of the other actors, to 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 every almost every single decision. It's it's actually quite so I I bring it up because it was a movie in I used to love bad movies as much as anyone and I still can find some joy in it. But this was the first, maybe the first time that I was able to be like, wait, this guy who who wrote Rocky, which I consider a, a near perfect movie, and the guy who, and the sequel to a spectacular film with John Travolta, who is an incredible actor, have somehow managed and 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 listen, it happens. Just shit goes wrong in this business, and money gets spent, and decisions that should be made are made the wrong way. And it's it is such a difficult job. So I I don't hold it against them personally, other than the two hours that I spent. Uh, at, I think the Lowe's Astor uh, on Forty Fourth Street seeing that
0: film. But he he was at. A, I remember I was fascinated with that film because he was just at a peak. He had had. Whatever it was was like Rocky Three had come out was a massive hit, and then he had First Blood, which was like his big, yeah, you know, great. sort of establishing another sort of you know, superhero character that he would go on to play forever and ever. And it was like he was at an all time high there, and it really did feel like, you know, just these fevered egos completely out of control. Um, <laughs> for a no, mean,
3: it, you really truly feel that no one could say no to it. that, literally. Stallone mm-hmm. could have been like, I want to I wanna have uh, 15 camels dancing down Times Square. And they'd be like, we're going to yeah. get that for you. No problem.
0: Uh, and the Joe, fact that I mean, his cameo, yeah, you know, the entire point of his cameo is because it's just Travolta walking down the street when he just bumps into a guy and he turns around and it's Stallone wearing this fur coat. Doesn't he have like the shades on? And he's just like maxed out early 80s. I mean, it is.
3: It is. My, uh, it is some. It is some. It is some shocking stuff. It really needs to be seen to be believed. Um, I wish yeah. I could. I would like to host a screening of *Staying Alive*, and and uh, I would. I would have. A but lot here's to say the question:
0: up. Would you stay and watch the film?
3: Oh, I definitely would. I would watch it. I would. <laughs> if I was, I would watch it. <laughs> hey, Joe, have you ever been in a situation where you were directing something or about to direct something, and you felt the the wheels coming off the? The track and like, yeah, it
2: was a movie. It was a movie with Sylvester <laughs> Stallone called Stop Or My mom will shoot, which uh, oh, well, I, which oh, which right. which yes. I thought was a kind of a dodgy idea, but Carrie Fisher uh, thought it was. It, well, he said, "Well, let's get together. Maybe we can make something out of this." And we we wrote some stuff, and you know, we sort of uh, we we worked up a whole, a whole approach for it, and um, it uh, and we presented it to him, and and uh, and he thought it was okay. Uh, but it was it was so apparent to us that all the decisions that were being made were, were bad ones uh, and that this movie was really going to tank uh, that we, we just we just opted out. And so we didn't make
3: someone else did to their chagrin. Right, so you skirt. Right, you skirted a bullet that 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 was aimed directly at your. Yeah. Studio. but you, you know, when you
2: start with a title like that, I mean, it's pretty easy to skirt a bullet. You know, I mean, what am I thinking? You
3: That's know? true. <laughs> right. That movie would have to be extraordinary to, uh, to to deserve that title. I bet in the years right after Sinai Fever, there were probably some very interesting pitches to a sequel. I bet there were... Oh, if they were sure. talking about sequel, 100%. there was probably an interesting way to approach continuing that story. And... Boy, if Stallone did not pick the exact opposite of an interesting approach to, talent,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was just a career stepping oh, stone. God. Yeah. some steps go up, some steps <laughs> yeah. go down.
3: Well, he survived. It's so true. Um, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that he got my money, but he didn't. But because uh, I got he has enough phone. money. He doesn't need yours. Yeah, that's that is so true.
0: I feel like there wasn't that that was sort of like travolta travolta did not make it through that one okay is my uh, he was he was having a hard time at that point
3: but and then he did perfect right he did perfect almost right oh, after and that was oh. like the, and don't oh, forget don't know, forget moment just, to moment
2: just, don't forget moment to moment another career highlight but
3: that, but that was earlier <laughs> that was earlier though yeah
2: He's had his ups and downs. Yeah,
3: he had, thank a- thank
2: Quentin Tarantino for reviving
0: But yeah, Perfect was supposed to be, it was like uh, uh Urban Cowboy had been based on an article, I think, in Rolling Stone, and it tapped into this thing that was happening at the and you could just see the gears going with perfect. It was like, hey, it's another article, and and this this uh this working out thing is happening, and let's <laughs> I
3: I saw that movie I uh uh perfect, which is Travolta and Jamie Lee Curtis. And is it directed by the guy who made Urban Cowboy or am I making that? James Bridges. I don't James think so. James Bridges directed.
0: I, I, I Yes, it like is. It is James Bridges. They put the team back together.
3: So um, it is, I, I, I don't remember anything about it other than there were enormously long scenes of aerobics class, like, like, enor- like endless scenes. And, and, I'd pay there to see is that. a moment or two. Yeah, so there's a few moments where you're like, "Oh, great! There's Jamie Lee Curtis and there's Travolta, and they look great, and they're dancing." And then it just never stopped. It's almost <laughs> like the editors cut of that movie got directly <laughs> put into the theater. It's like, "Here's the assembly. Uh, here's the assembly. We'll cut yes. it down from nine minutes to two minutes, but here's the nine minutes that you can see what you shot." And somehow through a, a, a series of mix-ups, the negative got cut, and that was released.
0: Oh wait! And am I wrong? I know Lorraine Newman is in it, and and yeah, I always feel yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for that. And Jan Wenner plays himself, I believe. Does he not? Is that the? Uh... You,
3: yes, I think Travolta's a Rolling Stone reporter, and Jan Wenner plays yeah. himself. Yeah. Um, Again, one of those yeah.
0: movies where they were just so certain they were they were on it. It was like this thing is just going to be a smash. We well, have um, certainly yeah. given
2: our <laughs> listeners a lot of movies to um, avoid. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, I've given them some to avoid, and I think I've given them some to see. I, think so that's I wanted
0: to true. Some great ones. Yeah, fair. very much so. For sure. Thank you, Richard. If you're in town, if you're in L.A., uh, end of September, is the 22nd? Um yeah. Film Geek is going to be at the American Cinematheque, and let us hope there will be many more screenings and um, uh, 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 a Blu-ray or streaming or some version thereof, because it's it's really a lot of fun. And um, it's one of those things I I where it, yeah. it's like, it's 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 so specific, you don't have to have a single thing in common with it for it to work. If that makes sense. It just becomes <laughs> universal. And it's, specimens. you just have to like movies, um, but it's, it's great stuff. That's right. Yeah. But by the way, maybe I, I like to think that a movie like that could, could, you know, charge somebody up who doesn't normally enjoy film to, you know, maybe go off and see starstruck or, you know, something um, could happen. That's why we do this. Right.
3: Exactly. I I love your show, guys. I'm I'm honoured to be on. Thanks, Richard. And uh, uh, I will speak soon. Thank you so much. Happy
0: to have you. Thank you, man. The Movies
1: That Made Me is the official podcast of Trailers From Hell, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. We are proud to be part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Learn more at airwavemedia.com. This is Josh Olsen for the movies that made me. Hi, I'm Neil, and I'm Ken, and we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus.